Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on the Small Call Articles, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and errant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service to His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All right. Welcome back, fellas. Uh, we are into our Bible study episodes for this uh, as we've been talking about the Lord's Supper in the Small Called Articles. Yeah, and we're breaking new ground as we occasionally do. We found mm-hmm. a Bible verse. We are a Bible chapter, a book, book we haven't yep. uh, broken into. So uh, it's it's a perfect book to get into when we're talking about the abuse of the law. And uh, is a book that, except for three verses uh, in all nine chapters, is all law. <laughs> right. Mm. Didn't you just teach this? Recently? I taught through Amos in your, in your about yeah three four years ago. We went through Amos. It's been oh, a while. I yeah. Thought- I thought this was more recent. I'm, I'm, I'm currently in Hosea. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're doing alternating Bible studies of the minor prophets and then Luke and Acts. So I'm currently in Hosea. We're doing them chronologically. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Amos, I remember, uh, I think it was Alistair Begg, maybe one of those, you know, kind of yeah. people who are, you know, whose podcasts and or radio sermons are more famous than ours. Uh, he said that Amos is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper. And if you read Amos, I think that's probably a fairly accurate, fairly faithful statement. Mm-hmm. I wish you would try to say that in a Scottish accent, though. <laughs> right. Yes. A rich. <laughs> That's, I just remember him describing this tomorrow's newspaper. It's rich as tomorrow's newspaper. Kind of Irish. But yeah, yeah, it was Irish, Scottish. It's, it's like on Mrs. Doubtfire when uh, he's trying to fake the British accent and Pierce Brosnan's character comes on. He goes, where are you from? He's like, oh, a little here, a little there. He said, accent is so muddled. And I, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what anything United Kingdomish comes out of my mouth. That's muddled. Yeah. So. Oh, fun. Anyway. All right. Well, rich. Uh, Let's go. Uh, let's let's read this. Read passage. it. <laughs> read it. Read it, Brett. Uh, I will not read it like that. But uh, all right, Amos five verses eighteen through twenty four says this in Jesus' name: "Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light?" And gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will look. I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Uh, here ends the reading of the word. And Amen. interestingly Amen. enough, archaeologists believe that this is concrete proof that Amos was a Vikings fan. <laughs> Why? All the unfortunate things that happened to him. <laughs> Isn't being a Vikings fan like yeah. a man who fled from the lions and met with the bears? Yeah, that's right. And then stuck it. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Thought he had a first down, leans into the wall and gets bit by a snake. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Why not three yards, Kirk? Why not three yards? Just go for three yards. You know, we need 15. Why not three? Go yeah. for it. Still bitter. <laughs> Still here. bitter. I'm here for you guys as, as a Bears fan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Although we... No, you're, no you're not. We're, we're right. bad, too. We're not like that. The hard sell on this was that... In real life, lions or bears are not really a threat. Right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, uh, I do, I do love the. It's such a vivid, you know, circumstance, you know, yeah. series of things that happen in this this picture here. I think I entitled the Bible study from this section is like, uh, "What's that? No good, very bad day." Uh, children's <laughs> book. <laughs> Amos is no good, very bad day. Nice. Uh, I love it. So, uh, Adam, this was your suggestion. And since you always have to have your own way, what does this have to do with the mass? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I just, I just, yeah, I no thought idea. we hadn't been in Amos. So. Yeah, I hadn't been there. No, I was thinking of it in terms of this idea of when we think we are doing the right thing, when we, when we are basing our confidence in our own work, right? You think, yeah, I want, I want the work of the Lord. I'm good. I'm really good. I've got a great relationship. I, hey, I go to mass three times a week. Right. That idea. Right. And, and that that in this picture is like the day of the Lord isn't going to be pretty for you. It's not going to be you want the day of the Lord. Oh, yeah. I go to mass three times a week. I'm good. No, it's going to be like a man running from a, a what is a bear and then finding a lion or vice versa. Where is it at here? Yeah. But that whole thing, it's that picture of once again, the idea of the confidence. Where do you place your assurance? Where do you place your confidence? Where do you place your hope? And I think ultimately in, in Amos, the warning here is all of your religious festivals, all of your, your fattened animals that you, you, you give, all the things that you give, you sacrifice, you sacrifice, you sacrifice. God says, I'm not going to look upon them. Your sacrifices aren't good enough. You going through thinking that what I have done isn't good enough. How many times do you think you need to sacrifice my son before his, his death is sufficient for your sins? I guess that's, that's the overarching, that's the connection, I think, to that article for sure. It's a great passage, though, and it really, like I said, it's law. And, and of course, law is good. <laughs> law is good. It's a good reminder if for us. If it's used lawfully. If it's used lawfully, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and understanding it and putting it in its place. And I think we do see, um, I think we do see at the end of the passage, and there's there's a lot of things to discuss here, but, um, you know, the idea of justice in the Old Testament. It seems to me that God really kind of cares about the poor and the needy, you know, and I think it's not just metaphorical. I think that he, of course, cares about the spiritually poor and needy, and that's ultimate, that's the the ultimate need. But I, I think God cares about us caring for other people. I think so. Sometimes we get a little squeamish about this, depending on where you fall in the social justice spectrum. Some people are like, yeah, well, we don't want to get into that social justice kind of stuff. And I think the passage really does talk about social justice, care for the poor, love for our neighbor. Um, but that last phrase that let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever flowing stream, I think points forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. So I, I think there's a lot going on there. I think there's a, uh, yeah, it's a good, good reminder and a good, uh, indictment of God's people, an example of God's indictment of his people in, in the same way that Luther indicts those trusting in the mass. Yeah. It, it certainly helps us to illustrate the focus of the, sacrament in itself, right? And, and we've talked about, uh, we talked about it two episodes ago, the sacrament is valuable because it is the word of God and not in that we are performing it. And that's exactly the problem with what's going on here in Amos 5, is that the entire sacrificial system of the Jews became performative. It, I'm going to do this, I'm okay with God, and it doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor. 
And and so mm. you, you get you 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 get into rather than assurance, you get into false assurance. Rather than justification, you get into self-justification. And so uh, it's it's really a masterclass at preaching law and gospel that Amos mm-hmm. does here because it's like, you want the day of the Lord? You really want the day of the Lord? It's not going to be good news for you because you think by what you've done, you're reconciled to God and you have all these places. So Amos 5, Hosea 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You have uh, several places in the Psalm. Psalm 51 says, uh, you know, you do not require a bull offering. It's a contrite heart is what you want. And so Amos here, and, and really throughout his entire book, Amos talks about that this false sense of piety and this false sense of assurance is damning. And, and we want to rest ourselves, not in our performance, but in the grace and mercy of God. Mm-hmm. So how, how can we repent of, of that false piety that you're speaking of? The, the key is to yeah. repent. Okay. It's, uh, the absence of repentance is a mm-hmm. symptom of unbelief, is really what it comes down to. And so it's, uh, there's this popular Lutheran pastor out there who says, we need to even repent of our repentance. And so, uh, you know, everything we talk about in the Christian life where it looks like we do something, we have to acknowledge that as insofar as it pertains to our salvation is something that's brought about by God through his spirit by the preaching of the word, right? So there is, you have, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Uh, and what happens is our sinful nature is like, well, faith is my contribution to salvation. You just got to believe. And so we have the decision, right? No, faith is a gift from God. Well, and then you go further. Well, you need to repent. And so repentance becomes my contribution to salvation. No, Mm -hmm. you don't really repent unless the spirit is convicting you of sin through the preaching of the law. And so basically anything that we tie to our performance of God needs to be repenting of. And so the real big picture is you just need to be repenting, which we do every week in the divine service. We repent of our sins, but it's also, you know, of all the Roman Catholic things that Luther said in the 95 thesis, the thesis number one is one of the most Lutheran things he wrote is when God said uh, that we should repent, he willed the lifestyle of an, uh, the entire lifestyle of a Christian should be one of repentance, that we should be living in humility before God, acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a savior. And then we should be believing the second part of repentance is faith. We should believing that, be believing that God has provided that savior for us in Jesus Christ, not in our own piety. Yeah. When you, I mean, the way that, uh, the book of Concord describes or explains repentance as sorrow and faith. Basically, I'm shorthanding it maybe a little bit. Contrition. Contrition. contrition and faith, yeah. Yeah, sorrow. Contrition and faith, right? Uh, and so it's it's the idea that my sins have grieved me and that I know where to go with those sins. Uh, I believe uh, one of our uh, theology professors here says it's coming to Christ as a sinner um, is, is one of the ways that it's described, you know, but it's the same idea. It's the idea that I'm coming having, uh, recognizing my sinfulness, that when the law of God does its work, it convicts and that makes us sad. It's interesting. So, so some of the reasons I, I think why we don't repent is because we're not sorry. And we're not sorry because we're not listening, we're hardening, we're stealing our hearts against the word. We're stealing our hearts against what, what the word's teaching. So for instance, and and, and we, we see this happen all the time. We, we have those pet sins that we're quickly convicted of, right? Um, I just snapped there as though our, you know, our listeners could hear that. But um, if, and I heard a friend recently give me this illustration, but would you guys feel guilty if you cheated on your wife? Yes. 
Teresa Brett is nodding. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just if you're listening, he was nodding vigorously, just for the yes, record. Yes, yes. So, uh, <laughs> Jason would feel guilty. Jason, Brett? Brett. Brett's yes. not sure. He's uh, on the fence. On. Uh, no. Sorry, yeah. No, of course you would, right? Yeah. Do you feel guilty when you are going five over the speed limit? No, I feel entitled to at least that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and, and a person could make an argument. This is what my friend was saying. Uh, a person could make an argument that you haven't internalized that because the law of God has not yet done its work. The, the law is the thing that is, is God brings his word to you and convicts um, you of sin. That's the work of the whole. And, and so the idea of being repentant is not saying, see, look what I did. It's like God's saying, no, look what I did. Like, you idiot, you did this. You are wrong. And I'm, I'm disgusted by this act, and you are doing it. Stop it. <laughs> uh, oh, and then you come to God. Oh, God, I'm a terrible sin. Like, we did something? No, it's his word coming forth. He's all, and that's why we can say that he is always the instigator of repentance. Because if repentance is contrition and faith, the idea of contrition can only come from outside a, a, a standard that we have broken. And God has given us that standard in the law. Yep. And that contrition and faith dichotomy or pairing is is absolutely necessary because you can have contrition without faith. Mm-hmm. And we would we would for recognize sure. yeah. that for both King Saul in the Old Testament and for Judas in the New Testament, their sorrow over their sin produced unbelief. Yeah. Sorrow without yeah led to death. Yeah, it led to suicide in yep. both cases, right? And what we want to focus on is we, we kind of drive the bus back into the lane of the mass and <laughs> instead of you know, bouncing around in the ditch for a while. Uh, is <laughs> what a picture of the podcast. As, as one who rode a bus on a farm route, that uh. may or may not be a real thing. <laughs> Thanks, that, Jason. That I experienced. But is the whole idea that we do something for God to impress him. Hmm. That's what this yeah. goes down. And and really, I think everyone, uh, every honest Christian would respond that maybe all the time, but if not now, yeah. then at some point in time, our initial reaction to the conviction of sin is not repentance, but it's to do something good to cancel out the bad. Yeah. And then once we cleared our name, then we'll go to God and say, yeah, that wasn't so great, but see this good thing I did. Sure. Yeah, that's why you, you need both sides of the dichotomy. Right. Yeah. Repentance, I mean, excuse me, contrition and faith. Yeah, and that's why, you know, if we were to put the best construction on the people that, if, you know, the Amos is speaking to here, you know, they probably thought they were doing the right thing by, you know, doing the burnt offerings, grain offerings, uh, you know, all the noise of the songs there. They they probably, you know, I, I don't know, and maybe don't, we shouldn't assume, but, you know, maybe they, they felt like they were doing the right thing. I think we can assume because it's such a repeated theme in the prophets. Almost mm-hmm. every one of them goes on that they think they are righteous by the things that they do or what they say. You know, you've got that famous passage in Jeremiah, what, 7? This is the temple of the Lord, the temple mm-hmm. of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And it's that that superstition, talisman mentality that we've mentioned several times is that's what the sacraments can become without a proper confession, is that we easily follow into the trap that I am coming to church to do something, mm-hmm. and the height of my something is either my praise and worship and the, the demonstration of my sincerity and commitment there, or my baptism and the, de- the, the, the demonstration that I am uh, most certainly a disciple of Jesus, or 
the Holy Communion where I'm demonstrating how willfully I'm confessing the name of the Son of God. And we can't go there. And God's antidote, antidote to our antidote. I like that. Antidote. <laughs> suddenly Canadian. Antidote. There's yeah. my umlaut. Yeah. Yeah. Antidote. Like Canadian, uh, yes. uh, the, the antidote to our piety yeah. is the preaching and application of the law. Hmm. So, you know, the, you got the, the no good, bad series of unfortunate events here in Amos yep. 5. And then the, this passage closes with, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Okay. So the fruit of your faith is very important rather than, well, I can do this and get away with something. And, and what's so interesting is that verse 24 isn't the gospel, but it is the source of our gospel understanding of what's going on in Amos 5. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about gospel here in this. So, so how would you go that step further to connect it to the gospel? Well, the, the, the missing piece is that the gospel is God's justice. And, you know, that's uh, yeah. my favorite verse, Romans 3.26, that God might be both just and the justifier of those who have faith in him, is when God says, let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, that's exactly what he gives us in the blood of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That the gospel is not God ignoring our sin. It is not God uh, looking the other way and saying our sin doesn't matter. It's not us coming to God for forgiveness and saying, yeah, don't worry about it. We're good, right? It's that God is entirely just to punish his son in our place, and yet that is entirely gracious because we don't deserve that. And that justice literally rolls down like water in baptism, Mm -hmm. and it rolls over abundantly that the grace of God in Jesus never runs out. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us that God declares us righteous. And in declaring us righteous, we are free to go and be just. Mm -hmm. We are free to live rightly in response to our neighbor. Mm -hmm. Amen. Vocation. Do you guys ever uh, listen to John Foreman, like his singles, like the the leader at Switchfoot, right? He's the singer on Switchfoot. the seasons. Yeah. He has like a bunch of EPs out that are uh, like based on the seasons. And one of the, the songs that he sings, it's called Equally Skilled. And I love the way that he says it. Uh, And I think he's, he's like poetically, but very closely quoting, I don't remember which, which it could be. It's, I don't know if it's Amos. It's one of the minor prophets, but he says, uh, in both of their hands, um, justice comes and even now is swiftly arriving. Don't trust anyone at all. Not your best friend or even your wife for the son hates the father. The daughter despises even the mother. Look, your enemies are right, right in the room of your very household. And both of their hands are equally skilled at doing evil, equally skilled at bribing the judges, equally skilled at perverting justice, both of their hands, both of their hands. And then at the end of the song, he says, um, he says, though I sit here in darkness, the Lord, the Lord alone, he will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me for the wrongs I've done against him. After that, he'll take my case, bringing me to light and to justice for all I've suffered. And both of his hands are equally skilled at ruining evil, equally skilled at judging the judges, equally skilled at ministering justice. Both of his hands, both of his hands are equally skilled at showing mercy, at loving the lover, at ministering justice. It's such a beautiful turn on this, like the whole idea of, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have fallen, yet I will rise. And I will do so because as, as 
incapable as my hands are of doing the right thing. And as often as I find myself in the wrong thing, in my sorrow, the gospel turns my eyes to Christ crucified. And when it does so, I see the hands of one who is a whole lot better at doing justice than I am, whose righteousness is is the one that, that has come falling down like the waters, right? And his ever-flowing stream of, of righteousness. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And every time I hear that song, I think, I, I, I love the, the picture of, I, I can't do it. You know, I've gotten to this point and I, we've all been there. If we're honest with ourselves, if the word of God and the law of God has done its work, we all have found ourselves running right from one place to the other, trying to find something that isn't good like Saul or, or Judas. But at the end, if we look to what God's design and plan is, it's faith in something, right? It's not just faith, it's faith in an object. And that object is the crucified savior. I think we'd want to carve out some space here at the end of the episode, too, that there's a danger in the focus on justice and righteousness, where they become the performative sacrament. And and that's where the mainline liberal denominations have gone then, right? And so that uh, not only would we say the critique of the mainline liberal denominations is that the sacraments have become utterly performative for them, is that they've replaced the content with the gospel with doing justice, whatever the zeitgeist says justice is in the moment, right? And, And what we would say is that it's not about the doing, it's about the believing, and then we do as a response to what God has done. And so, you know, just as we are commanded to go and baptize, we are commanded to go and receive Holy Communion, it's not in the baptizing, it's not in the receiving of communion, it's in the Word of God delivering those things to us, right? And so that it's not the act of doing the sacrament, but it's the power of the Word of God that makes them effective. So God prescribes justice, but he doesn't prescribe a certain quantity of justice that we would do to make ourselves righteous. Mm -hmm. In fact, we do justice because God has declared us righteous. And and there's a very important distinction in there. So again, you fall off the horse in either direction on this. Mm -hmm. That's why, again, law and gospel. Law and gospel is the answer. You know, it's, is am I doing it or is God doing it? If if we want some truly good news, God has to be doing it. But that's not to say, you know, it talked about, you know, it's after we're saved or because we're saved. There's the doctrine of vocation, right? Oh. The assurance of salvation, vocation. That's what we have here. And the, it's and the, laid out very clearly. And the doctrine of vocation, our love for a neighbor exists simultaneously with the law convicting us of sin. Mm-hmm. So that in... in Amos 2.4, or Amos 5.24, 2.4 is the two numbers that make up 24, if you didn't know that. Adam. Yes. <laughs> uh, Amos 5.24. In that order. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That is, to me, as a Christian, telling me how to love my neighbor, but it is also to me, as a sinner, convicting me of not being just, of not being righteous. And so in that, again, I repent. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgiven. Contrition and faith. Yeah, I'm forgiven by the blood of Christ, both in the preached word and in the received word in the sacraments. And then I go out again to exercise justice and righteousness, and the same thing happens. It guides me to love my neighbor, and it convicts me of not loving my neighbor well enough. And that's the cycle of the Christian life. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. You are invited to the Summer Institute of Theology, August 7th through the 11th at the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Join pastors and lay people from around the country for training in apologetics, congregational leadership, systematic theology, and studies in the Psalms. 
Find the full list of electives and registration information at flbc.edu slash SIT. God bless you and have a great week.